Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The unchanging word now begins a new study in the books of First and Second Corinthians. Dr. Mitchell will first give us an overview of the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians and how and why it fits into the New Testament. Now, the Apostle Paul came to Corinth after visiting Athens, and because of a divine revelation from Jesus Christ himself, Paul spent a year and a half teaching the Corinthians the Word of God. In a church exalting their teachers rather than the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the consequent problem of division in the church developed. The Apostle Paul's remedy for this is allowing Jesus Christ back in as the head of the body, the center of attraction, in Bible study, fellowship, worship, and giving. Our overview of 1 Corinthians now continues with Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. We come to you again. And may I say it's a real joy for me to come back and be with you in the study of the Word of God. And we're starting a study today in the first and second books of Corinthians. And I just trust if you have the time, you will read those two books, especially start in now and read 1 Corinthians, how God deals with his people. I feel today there's a real need for some of the things the Apostle Paul has said in this epistle. When one sees the confusion today and the lack of love for each other among God's people, I feel the need of this book. And so you pray that we may ever speak under the anointing and power of the Spirit of God. And I also pray that the Word of God in these coming days, if our Lord should tarry, may be used to exalt our wonderful Savior 
and that you and I will fall in love with him and then so live that other people will come to know the one who is the friend of publicans and sinners and the one who is able to save to the very end everyone who will come unto him. To me, it's a marvelous thing that God has mercy for all. I don't care what your condition. He has mercy for all. And then when we accept him, he leaves us down here to represent him before men. This is the cry of my heart. And I know that you're going to join with us in this ministry and pray that we who are ministering the word may so walk before him that something of his loveliness, of his tenderness, his compassion, his love may shine through to other hearts. There are so many in affliction, so many in trouble, so many who need the peace of God which passeth understanding. So you pray that we might be able by the Spirit of God to reach them, that people might be saved. People of God will be established in the faith. And we'll all look forward to that wonderful day when we shall see him whom having not seen, we love. Now let me just give you one or two things about this book of Corinthians. We're starting studying Corinthians. Uh, Romans, we have the theme is Christ, our righteousness. When we come to Corinthians, we have Christ, our sanctifier. He's our wisdom. He's the all-sufficient one. As I've said before on the radio in past lessons, Romans and Corinthians and Galatians is a package. That is, they're knitted together, just like Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are, are a package. They, they fit together. Romans, the righteousness of God. Corinthians guards the practice of righteousness. And Galatians guards the doctrine of righteousness. For example, in Romans, one of the great themes of Romans is justification by faith. And Galatians guards that doctrine that one is saved without works, without anything. Christ is a perfect Savior. You can't add to what he has done. If I seek to add to what Christ has done for men and women, I ruin the gospel. He's not a perfect Savior. He's not an eternal Savior. So in Romans, we find where Christ died, finished the job, was raised from the dead as a guarantee from God that that work perfectly satisfied him. Without works, just on the ground of faith, a sinner is saved, and Galatians guards that. Now in between, you have Corinthians, and in Corinthians, we have them guarding the practice of righteousness. How should we as Christians live. Now, in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, we have the, the history of how Paul went down to Corinth and he preached the gospel. He'd come down from philosophical Athens where there was very, very little response. That's in chapter 17 of Acts. You remember the story of how Paul went down to Athens and when he saw uh, how religious they were, he came to an, an altar with this inscription, the unknown God, and he proclaimed Christ to them. He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection, and they mocked and they scoffed at him. Then he went out to Corinth 
which is just an entirely opposite kind of city. Now in Corinth, a large church was formed. A great many people came to the Savior. But Corinth, you know, was a terrible city. It was a city of wealth, of culture, but they were very permissive. That is, they, they were, it was a permissive society. Sin was rampant. They were very self-indulgent, self very immoral. In fact, to be called a Corinthian in the first century meant you were called a man who was, or a person who was immoral and corrupt. And when Paul went down there, he was opposed by false teachers, especially Jews who bitterly opposed Paul and what he taught. In fact, Paul wanted to get out of the town. He wanted to leave it. And the Lord said, you stay here. I've got much people in this city. And he stayed there 18 months preaching the gospel, teaching those who would accept, accept the Savior. Let me just read, for example, the first two or three verses of chapter 2, just to give you an idea of the kind of a city to which he had gone and how he felt. He said, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's hard for one to believe of how Paul would go down there, knowing Paul, his background and everything else, to think that he was there in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. You see, friend, God can take us, whatever our condition, and use us for his glory. So Paul went down there in spite of, the, of all the opposition to him. He stayed there 18 months, and as I say, quite a large church was before him. Now, the, the epistle was written from Ephesus. You find that in the 16th chapter of Corinthians, especially verses 8 and 9. Uh, Paul had heard of the condition in the church after he left, and he, he could hardly wait to visit them. He wanted to put something straight. And he wrote them because he was so concerned about it. You remember he went down to Ephesus and stayed there three years at Ephesus. It was from there, having heard of their condition, he wrote them and exhorted them to walk before God. Now, the, the reason for the writing of the epistle was because these Corinthian Christians had become very, very carnal. One is reminded of Hebrews chapter 5, 11 to 14, when Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews was, said, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. He goes on to say, I would like to feed you on good, on a good steak, on beef, on meat, but you can't bear it. I've got to feed you milk as babies. And that's true with the Corinthian church. Take the chapter 3 when he said to them, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. 
Why? Because you couldn't bear it. Why? Because you're carnal. And four times in four verses, in chapter 3, the first four verses, he calls them carnal. Amazing thing. Why were they carnal? Because they were following men. I want to tell you very, very much that today we have so much of the same thing. Uh, we have the, the legalism of the Galatian church and we have the looseness of morals in the Corinthian church. Now I'm telling you, it's, and I, it grieves one's heart. If it makes our hearts heavy, I wonder how it affects the Savior. You see, there was no recognition of Christ as the head of the church. They were following men. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, and so on. And these Corinthians were worldly wise. And of course, with this went fleshly indulgence, thus maintaining no separation from the demon worshipers of the day that were all around them. You find that in chapter 6 and likewise in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There was no recognition of the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the assembly. My, what a lesson for us today. We see divisions. We see churches being split for one thing or another. We've, people, God's people are bruised. They're hurt. It just, you can't go anywhere without finding it. Why? Because Christ Jesus is not the center of their worship, of their ministry, of their lives. You think about it. You say, haven't we got to be true in doctrine? Of course we do. But you know, doctrine itself, just by itself, unless it makes the Lord Jesus the very center, it's an empty thing. My heart bleeds for God's people when I think of the tremendous, tr tremendous responsibility we have Knowing that time is short, the Lord's at hand, we are, still, there are, we are still surrounded by tens of thousands of people who do not know the Savior. And a great many have been shunted off. They've gone to church and they've come back cold, not wanted. Oh, the Lord, have mercy on us believers. May we indeed fall in love with the Savior and manifest His love, divine love, to those who need it. You see, I'm talking from my heart to you this morning. As I read and as I've read and reread this book, what a need today for us to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who was the center of attraction. And remember, wherever He is, He must be the center. When He was a baby, Born in Bethlehem of Judea, he was the center, not Mary, Jesus. The wise men worshipped Jesus. When he was 12 years of age in the midst of the darkness of the temple on Luke chapter 2, he was the center of attraction. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, Moses, Elias, but Jesus was the center of attraction. My son has come, listen to him. When he's on the cross, he's the center of attraction. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all unto me. He's the center of attraction. Where is he now? He's on the throne of God, the center of attraction. God has made him preeminent. Lord and Christ. Believer in Christ, have you made him that in your heart, in your life? You don't have to shout it out, you know. 
It'll be evident by how you live, what you think, your motives, how you deal with other Christians, how you deal with men and women of the world. What a need, oh, what a need for people to know Jesus Christ of the Scriptures, the Savior of men. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, his heart was heavy because they were living in the lusts and desires of the flesh. They were fighting among one another. And the Lord said that, Paul said, you're carnal. Mark you, they, as we come to the introduction of the book, we'll see some things about that. Another reason why he wrote to them was because they had so many disorders that had to be corrected. They were immoral. He tried in chapter 5. They were immoral. They were like the world around them. They were going to law one with another. There was gross immorality. They were in quiet time. And then they were full of questions. For example, uh, here's a man and a woman. They're married. One's Christian, one's not a Christian. How shall, what shall they do? What about woman's place in the assembly? What about our relationship to the unsaved? How shall we conduct ourselves at the Lord's table? What about the gifts of the Spirit? What about them? And then they had to be reminded that their destination was heaven. Hence, there was a need for them to understand something concerning the resurrection from the dead. Some were doubting this. You find this in chapter 15. And Paul reminded them that a risen Christ was their Lord, was their head, was their Savior, and was all sufficient for every need and guaranteed, just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too would be raised from the dead. Now, for a few moments, let me suggest, just for your thinking, because we're just talking about this book this today. I'd like to give you a little digest of the book. Whet your appetite for reading it. Now, in the, in the introduction to the book, of course, is chapter 1, 1 to 9, where Paul acknowledges the grace of God which had already been bestowed upon them. And then, the second thing, we have divisions and worldly wisdom in contrast to divine wisdom. And that runs from chapter 1, verse 10 to chapter 4, 21. The contrast between worldly wisdom and divine wisdom. That's worth, that's worth knowing, by the way. The third thing he wrote about was discipline in the church in chapters 5 to 6. The question of morals, question of separation, a question of going to law with each other. You have this in chapters 5 and chapter 6. And then you have the instructions to the church, the fourth thing, chapter 7 to 10. As I was saying a while ago, there was a question of marriage, of home relationships. He talked about things, sacrifice to idols, talked about strong believers, uh, loving weak believers and not causing them to stumble. And in chapter 9, he talks about his liberty in the gospel. I am become all things to all men, to the Jew I become as a Jew, to the Gentile as a Gentile, that I might by any means save some man who had a passion to bring Christ to people and bring people to Christ. God give us some more men like that. 
And then there was a danger of them being seduced by the things around them. And then the fifth thing, you have order in the church, chapters 11 to 14. For example, in chapter 11, how, how shall I behave in a meeting, public meeting with God's people? How shall I conduct myself at the Lord's table? And you remember, there's such a thing as discipline when it comes to that. It's for this cause, because we do not recognize Christ in all that he is at the Lord's table. Some are weak, some are sickly among you, and some die. And then in chapters 12 to, to 14, we have his exhortation concerning the gifts of the Spirit. In chapter 12, we have the bestowal of gifts. And you'll notice in the passage, the Spirit of God is sovereign in the bestowal of gifts. He is sovereign in the place you and I have in the body of Christ. Every Christian is a member of the body of Christ and has a special place to function. I say this because sometimes we leave it all to one man or two, two men in the assembly. All believers have some gift of some kind. And by the way, most of God's work is done by people who only have one gift. That's in chapter 12. When you come to chapter 13, come they call the love chapter. This is how you govern the gifts. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. Though I give my body to be burned, give all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, I'm nothing. Then he goes on to say what love is. See, gifts must be governed by love. And then when you come to chapter 14, we have the exercise of the gifts. There were some gifts they were boasting about, and Paul takes them to task on that in chapter 14. The exercise of the gifts is for the edification. All gifts are for the edification of the assembly. Now, chapter 15, that great chapter on resurrection, and you remember that some had, were doubting that. Our ministry... Our responsibilities are here on earth. But our destination is heaven, or if you please, glory. And hence our bodies are to be raised from the dead. And remember, a risen Christ is the head of the church. Remember that. We haven't a dead Christ. We have a living Christ. And I just plead with your heart today to remember that. That's why he could say, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then we come, the last thing, the seventh thing, closing instructions and exhortation uh, to the church in chapter 16. Salutations, instructions, exhortations in the last chapter. Now, I've just briefly gone through that. I want you to read the book of Corinthians and may the Lord open your eyes and your mind, and may our hearts be opened. Maybe God has something to say to you and something to say to me. Now, the Lord bless you today. May his face shine upon you, and may you be filled with a tremendous yearning for the intimate fellowship of the living, risen, glorified Son of God.
you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.